Good morning, church. Good morning. So glad to be with you this morning. So glad to celebrate Easter here with you. Uh, our Lord, indeed, is a victorious over sin and death. He's risen to life through his resurrection. This morning, we conclude our Red Letter series. We've been working through the Gospel of John, going through, looking at the letters in red. Uh, the, the, the pronouncements of Jesus, the I am's of, I am the living water, I am the bread of life, I am uh, the good shepherd. All these things that Jesus declares about his identity and his person and his heart for people. This morning we look at uh, John eleven twenty-five. 25. Just after, just after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Amen. Good news indeed. Let's uh, take a moment and pause our hearts and commit the time to the Lord. Huh? Lord, we just, we just long to hear from you this morning. It's with open Bibles and yielded wills, with bent knees that we approach your word this morning. Lord, we ask you to speak. We ask you to have your way with us. Teach us from your word the things we need, Lord, this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you've got your Bibles, open up uh, toward the end there, John. There's, uh, there's three scenes I'd like to kind of fix in your mind this morning. If it was a movie, there would be a, just a three-scene movie. And that is uh, Mary at the tomb and, uh, and the disciples in the upper room. And the third scene would be Jesus on the beach with Peter. This morning, these three scenes in the end of in the end of the Gospel of John, <clears throat> they come right out of the Word of God. These three scenes they show us they show us so clearly our humanity, uh, how how as a human being we need God. Uh, we see Mary in her in her godly dedication. She's coming early to comes before daybreak, comes to anoint the dead body of her Lord. You know, she expects to find a dead body, a cold body, there in the garden. And she's coming filled with grief and sorrow from the death of a loved one. How many of you have had the loss of a loved one? Right? There's grief there. There's sorrow there. What do we do with that? Does, does, does God understand that grief and that loss? Yes, he does. The disciples huddled, bewildered, frightened for their lives thinking, well, they crucified Jesus, they're going to come back and get me because I was associated with him. I was his disciple. Fearful, huddled down. Does God understand our fear? Does he understand when we're timid, when we shrink back, when we should step out in those moments? Yes, he does. And Peter, who goes back to fishing, he goes back to his former way of life. He says, you know what, Jesus, I I don't know what to, how do I live now to please God? Do you see the predicament in Peter's head as he spends a night on a boat and catches nothing? So we'll take a look at these three scenes this morning. In all these three scenes, we see that Jesus, he graciously enters. He graciously steps forward. And does he come with a long finger and a point? No. He doesn't come to scorn. He doesn't come to ridicule. He doesn't come to belittle. What does he do with his followers? He lifts them up. He gives Mary joy. He gives Peter purpose. He gives those disciples confidence to open their mouths and share the gospel. And he doesn't come bringing a cold ritual of religion, does he? 
No, he comes with a depth of personal intimacy, a depth of relationship. He comes to comfort. He comes to bring his peace, his purpose, his direction. He does not leave us in our human fear or grief or bewilderment. He wants to speak into our lives, and I think he does today as well. So in each of these scenes that we'll see here this morning, we see him lift up his followers and give joy and forgiveness in life. We, um, if you, I want to share with you as we go through here, we had the, the wonderful opportunity, and thank you, so many of you. Um, you we went in February of Yetman's went and some others. Um, we went in uh, February of 2020, and I want to share a couple of pictures just from that trip. We, we never really got to report on that because we came back and COVID hit and everything went blank. But um, wonderful opportunity. If you ever get the chance to go, thank you for many of you who contributed financially to allow us to go, Lisa and I at least. Um, and also for Jose and Brenda Martinez. They're probably on Zoom call. But uh, they, so Jose strongly encouraged me to go. So it was very good. These are the southern steps of the Temple Mount. And uh, we walk there and it just... I don't know, when you go there, there's this, this sense of excitement, this sense of, oh, it happened right here. You know, and you can see it and, and, and kind of taste it and touch it and feel it. Uh, like this might be the very spot where, where Jesus forgives the woman, in, uh, the adulterous woman in John 8, where he says, uh, you know, those of you without sin cast the first stone. And they all drop their rocks and say, no, I can't throw any stones here, right? On, on southern steps. Neil Armstrong, I think, astronaut, said it was more um, significant for him to walk on these steps than it was for him to walk on the moon. You know, it's that kind of a place, just the gravity of the place. Go ahead. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. Olive trees there. Uh, you know, you can just picture Jesus praying there the night before he's betrayed and, and taken away. And then go ahead. Next one there. This is the walkway going from, you know, when, when, when they arrest him, and, uh, when they come and arrest Jesus, it's night, right? And what happened during that night? Well, he's led away to Caiaphas' house, to the high priest's house. High priest's house still there, okay? The walkway here on the, le- on the uh, this, that's the walkway where Jesus would have been led up those steps to Caiaphas' house. And then in Caiaphas' house, underneath there was a dry cistern. And they think Jesus was held there. Um, there's evidence there. There's, there's markings on the wall. There's, there's places where a prisoner would have been bound and held there in its dry cistern. And you begin to, to recognize the loneliness that Jesus must have experienced, being there all alone through the night waiting for his trial and crucifixion the next day. He knows what's coming, right? But it's, it's kind of like going to a, a, a battlefield because you recognize the tremendous price that was paid in this place for a purpose. It's just staggering. We were down there, and a Korean church happened to come in behind us, and we lingered, and we, we sang Amazing Grace together, them in Korean and us in American English, you know. But just to have that commonality back and forth, just tremendous. Go ahead, one more. And uh, this is the praetorium where, where Jesus is beat with the rods and mocked by the Roman soldiers. Um, it, it was a Roman garrison. So it's a stone floor there, and, 
there's etched in the floor like a Monopoly board where the Roman soldiers would have played this game. I, I think King and the King and the Cross. Uh, King and something, I forget it. But it just kind of, you can just see it all unfold in your mind right there. The injustice of it all, uh, Jesus being betrayed, unjustly held, this mock trial, and crucified. Just, um, it all kind of runs in there together. So, as we get into the text a little bit this morning, go ahead there. We go to John 19. Just want to give some, some background there. They took Jesus, therefore, and they went out. Went out where? Where are we going out of? Well, you're going out of the city gate. You're going out of the city wall. Go ahead, next slide, and we'll come back. Here's, here's the Lions Gate. This is on the northern side of the city. Um, and it's very close to where they think Jesus was crucified. Okay? So this fulfilled prophecy, if you, if you think back to that Old Testament, where, um, where the sin offering is made, Maybe it's a sin, okay, it's in, it's in Hebrews, but remember what the priest would do? What would he, he laid the hands on the scapegoat, and he would transfer the sin of the people to this poor goat, and then the goat would be sent out, right? Scapegoat would be sent out into the wilderness, uh, pictorially taking our sin and, and sending it away. Jesus does the same thing here, okay? So Jesus went out of the city. If we go ahead... Go ahead, one more slide there. We go to, uh, no, back to, there you go. Here's the verse in Hebrews here at the bottom of the screen. It says, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, he suffered outside of the gate. This is in Hebrews 13. And you think, man, how God fulfilled his own word just with the simple act of Jesus being led outside of the city walls to be crucified. The place of the skull is, is where he was led to, right? I'm again, I'm again from uh, John 19, verse 17. So he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull. And you think, well, what was that, the place of the skull? Well, when we got to Israel, this is kind of what we saw. If you go ahead, two slides. There we go. If you see on the left-hand side, it's kind of hard to see. This picture from 1903. Okay, so it's before paved roads, it's before cars, certainly before cell phones, right? So all that. <clears throat> now remember, the goal of crucifixion was not death. They could kill you in an instant. They'd just cut your head off. You'd be done. The goal of crucifixion was humiliation. You're hanging naked on a cross for about six hours, okay? And it wasn't a big Baptist cross up on top of the church. No, it was a little bitty, bab- a little bitty uh, you know, <laughs> evangelical non-denominational cross. It's about 10, 12 feet high. Okay? So they think that on this roadway, it was common to do it <clears throat> on a roadway where people would go by and pass by and say, oh man, I don't want to do what he did. I'll, I'll end up in the same place. It was, it was um, humiliation. It was condemnation. It was, but it was also sending a message. Don't do what this guy did. Or you'll end up in the same. You know, we understand that, right? So we think that, that Jesus was crucified somewhere right in this area. Okay? You see the place of the skull in the back. The two eyes and the little bit of a nose. Okay, it's a landmark. It's like we would say today, well, go down here to the gas station and make a right. You know? It's, it's a landmark. 
So, so there that is. It's a bus stop today. Okay? It's not commemorated in any way, really. But it is still, you can still see a little bit of it there. But the geography of that rock there does look like a skull. Okay? So that's the place of the skull. Go ahead, next slide. So Pilate <clears throat> wrote an inscription on the cross which is written, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. Therefore the Jews read the inscription and the place where Jesus was crucified. It was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So all the languages of the day proclaimed that Jesus was the King of the Jews. Go ahead. So now we pick up our text in the first scene. Mary at, the, <clears throat> Mary at the tomb. If you're reading with me, follow along. It's in John 20. Thank you, <clears throat> Thank you sweetheart. <clears throat> in John 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And she said to him, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Uh, here's the tomb. This was the highlight of our trip to Israel, really. They discovered this in about 1890s or so. It's the garden tomb. It's right there, very close. A stone's throw from, from where I showed you the place of the skull. This is right around the corner. It's right there. And it's called a garden tomb because it was an agricultural area too. They also found a, a wine press there. So they think there was a vineyard there and other agricultural things. But there was also this tomb. It was common in, in the tradition of the day that people would be buried there. So in scripture you see that it was hewn out of the rock or carved out of the rock. And it fulfills that as well. Okay? So it's the garden tomb there. Now when you go inside... This is the place that they think Jesus would have been laid. There in the rock. Uh, it's, it's striking to walk in there. Uh, the markings on the far right that you see, they're Byzantine markings. They go back to about the 5th or 6th century A.D. So that again validates that this was probably the place where Jesus was laid. Now, the stone that we see that Mary talks about here in, in John 20, if we go back a slide, uh, go one more. There we go. There's a trench just outside. You see those wooden steps? What they're going, walking over is a trench that's about, oh, I don't know, about a foot wide. And there would have been a large round stone that would have been rolled over that opening. The stone's missing. It's not there anymore. But it would look kind of like a millstone, a big round stone that would have been rolled in front of that, and then the Romans tried to seal it, okay, to, to protect its integrity. But that's the garden tomb, and that's where we find, find Mary here this morning, coming to anoint the body of Jesus. Questions, thoughts about the garden tomb? Anything to add, saints? It was, it was quite a striking moment to be there. It really was the highlight of, of my trip to Israel, that's for sure. This fellow here with us in the, in the stocking cap, Otto, he was Belgium, and he says, I just can't, he's Christian, obviously. He gave us his testimony, charming man. 
he, he says, I, I just can't believe it. I pinch myself every day that I get to wake up and lead tours through the garden tomb. He's a volunteer there. But uh, a very kind man. It was a great trip. So if you ever get the chance to Israel, I encourage you to go. Let's pick back up with the text then, with Mary. Here we go. Mary's standing outside the tomb. Verse 11 here. And she's weeping. She's weeping. Death is so hard, isn't it? It's so uncertain. I lost an uncle yesterday. Just, Just like that. Death could be to any one of us. We could be taken. Are you ready to meet the Lord, saint? When you, when you meet the Lord of glory, is he going to be your judge or your friend? Do you know? Do you know for certain that you've done business with God? That he will be your friend on that day? There's, there's such isolation in death, isn't there? That, that you're, you're walking into the unknown dark and you don't know there's so much uncertainty. It seems it strips away our title. I won't be called Papa when I die. I, I, my, 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 my role as father and grandfather, that seems to be stripped away. Or my role as construction manager or any authority I have here on earth. seems like that's all put aside, isn't it? You're just one-to-one with the Lord of glory. What are you going to say in those moments? You see, we need to do business with God. We need to think ahead. Have you ever taken the steps of faith to say, you know what, Lord? I'm tired of living my own life, my own way. I want to yield my spirit to you. I want to become your follower. Take my life. Let it be yours. Let my life be yielded to you, Lord Jesus. That's the step of faith. Very simple step. I'd encourage you. Come talk to me. Talk to any of the pastors, someone you care about. It's serious business. So Mary's weeping in grief. She's weeping in sorrow of this of the situation of death, huh? That that faces all of us at some point or another. If the Lord should tarry, we all should pass. Hmm? So in those moments, you don't want to be shrinking back. You want to be embraced by the Savior who you've lived your life for. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white, sitting, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus was lying. And they, she, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And as she said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there. But through her tears, she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. Don't you love it when God calls your name? Personal. He knows her. Mary. She turned around and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren. My brethren. 
term of endearment. Say to them, I've ascended to my father, to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And he said these things to her. You're not going to take her confidence away, are you? They must have thought she was crazy. Woman, you must have bumped your head. What has happened? But the Lord comes and brings life and joy to Mary in the midst of death and pain. Huh? So that's the first scene. Go ahead. Her dedication, coming before daybreak to anoint a dead, cold, lifeless body. But instead she finds a risen Savior. Amen. That's the story of Easter, isn't it? Next scene. i got to get moving. While it was evening on that first day, the first day of the week, the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came, stood in their midst. What's he say? Guys, you, 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 you're missing the point here. Does he scold them? Does he belittle them? No. Peace. I give you peace instead of fear. I give you confidence. I give you assurance. Peace be with you. He said this. He showed him his hand. He showed him his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw it was the Lord. Huh? We keep going. So this fear that the disciples had, it's been replaced with the peace of God. What's uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says? Let uh, Be anxious for nothing, but with everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, we can't understand it, but we can feel it and we can know it and we can live in it, right? The peace of God, which passes all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's like a sentry. It's like one of those English bobbies with the big hat. You know, he's, he's a guard. Nothing's going to happen here. Not on my watch. Right? He's guarding your heart. Giving you peace instead of fear. Confidence. Assurance. There's one who, who wasn't there though, right? Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap, doesn't he? But how many of us do the same thing? Lord, I'll believe you if... We put obstacles in our own faith. I can remember being a little bitty guy. And my dog had had puppies. And one of them was stillborn. And I was just heartbroken. I remember praying, God, would you, would you bring this puppy back to life? You know, God didn't choose to do that. But in the same way, we can put obstacles in, the, in our own f- way of faith, right? Thomas, let's look at him here. Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, unless we've seen the Lord. But he says, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and the finger, I put my finger in the nails, and the hand in his side, I will not believe. He wants tangible evidence for that faith, doesn't he? Go ahead. After eight days, the disciples were again inside. Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut. Stood in their midst. What's he say? Peace be with you. And what's he do to Thomas? He provides that faith, doesn't he? He provides that tangible evidence that Thomas is looking for. He says, reach here your fingers into my hands. Reach here your hand and put in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered, said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet 
believe. Practicing our faith. There are many other signs, therefore, that Jesus wrote in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's why John wrote the book. That we might have evidence, that we might have something to base our faith on. The word of God, living and true. Amen. Last scene, we'll finish this up. Sea of Tiberias. Now, it's been a little while. It would have taken four days. You're leaving. The disciples have left Jerusalem. They've walked for four days, generally. If you're walking 8 to 12 miles a day, this would be about the pace that you would make it from Jerusalem up to the northern part of Israel, which is a climate much like ours. Now, Jerusalem is a little dry, a little, um, a little more like Arizona that we just came from. But in, in the northern part, it's a lot like Maryland. You've got trees, you've got vegetation, things are green, okay? It's a nice area. And you've got this Sea of Galilee here. A little background on that. It's about 8 miles wide and about 13 miles long. At its, at its greatest depth, it's about 140 feet, okay, Sea of Galilee. So it's more like a lake than it is a sea. And it's called the Sea of Tiberias because the city of Tiberias is there on that on that western edge. Just a little background for you. But this is where Simon Peter would have made his living, is on that sea. He came from the town of Capernaum, which is up in the northern part. We went and toured that too. But uh, so the disciples, they've gone back to, they've gone back to fishing, right? Let's get into the text here. John 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way, or he showed himself in this way. Simon Peter, there's seven of them here. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. The two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. I, I don't know what to do, guys. I'm lost here. Jesus is gone I don't know what to, I'm going to go back to my former way of life. I'm going to go back to the things that I was doing before Jesus put his claim on my life. And they said, we'll come with you, Peter. Look at the role of leadership. Even when leadership is going in the wrong direction, his, his, his fellow disciples followed him. I mean, get, he got Matthew there. I mean, I'd, if I'd been Peter, I said, Matthew, you tax collector, just... Hey, you go back to tax collecting, right? I don't want you in my boat, you know? But no, leadership leads. And, and, and there's grace there, isn't there? But those in leadership, and most of us are, your dads, your husbands, you're, you're leading at work, you're leading in your families. Be careful where you lead. Be so careful. Because leadership leads. It does what God designed it to do. We'll come with you, Peter. We'll come with you. And they went out. They got in the boat. They fished all night. They caught nothing. A lot of fishing, no catching. No catching of fish. You see the frustration there that must have been, right? You think of Jonah the prophet when he runs from God. If you run from God, you're not going to get anywhere, right? It, it doesn't lead. It's fruitless. It doesn't get anywhere. Go ahead. Next slide. So a little bit more. There's another shot of the Sea of Tiberias. 
and a Sea of Galilee and a little fishing boat there. It's got twin outboard engines. Center console, about 25 feet. Okay. This is a replica there that they had at the uh, museum there. So a wooden boat, mast. Um, this would have been about what they were in. Go ahead. When the day was now breaking, been all night fishing, caught nothing. Jesus stood on the beach. Disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Hey, boys, children, is it a term of belittlement? No. It's a term of endearment. It would be like, Hey, Shady. You know, hey, whoever. It's, it's a term of closeness, not a term of, of putting down. Children, do you have any fish, do you? No. They answered him, no. Cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. So they cast, and they were not able to haul it in. The net was alive, just like on the chosen, right? The, 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 the net's alive with fish. 153 of them, it says. Okay? Not able to haul it in. What's John say? That's the Lord. He's the Lord. See, John sees what others don't. Remember, John was the one that lingered at the cross. He stayed behind. He's not impetuous like Peter. He's not, he's not the first, but he thinks. And he, he's got a heart. It's close to God. The disciple whom Jesus loved said, it's the Lord. What happens then? Peter jumps in, swims to shore. The rest come with the boat. Go ahead. When they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it. And Jesus said, come, bring some of the fish you've now caught. Breakfast on the beach. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus gave, came and took the bread, gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples and was raised from the dead. Closeness recognizing their humanity, recognizing they're probably cold and hungry and tired, and having this warm breakfast on the beach. What a, what a gesture of kindness. What a gesture of compassion. What a gesture of love. Do you take the time to do that? Roofing crew um, I was working with, Latino crew. I, I can't communicate. I mean, there's very little I can say. That, that we would understand, but I want to I exhibit some gesture. I went and bought a box of donuts. We're all freezing to death. I it was cold up on the roof at 7 o'clock in the morning. It takes the time to do the small gestures of kindness to people who generally aren't remembered, the cleaning people, the, the office staff, whoever, whoever God puts in your path that you can show kindness to. You're following the example of Jesus here. When they finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's the these? I think it's that pile of fish and the nets and the boats. Do you love me more than your own personal agenda? Do you love me more than your business enterprise that you've given your life to so far? Do you love me more than what your own instincts would want to do? Peter says, you know that I love you, Lord. He says, tend my lambs. Tend my lambs. Whose lambs? I'm about fish. I'm not about lambs. 
right? What's, it, what's, what's Jesus saying here? Invest yourself in people. Invest yourself in this community of faith that I'm building called the church. Not a building, not a budget. No, 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 people. Invest yourself in people. In a few short days, Peter will be giving a sermon. Thousands of people give their lives to the Lord. He's got to get his mind off of fishing and onto people. Taking care of people. Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, Simon, John, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because of the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Again, people are on the heart of God. As we step forward into the spring, as we step forward out of this COVID and masks and are able to get together again, Saints Church, we need to love people. We need to care for the spiritual needs of people. To me, this sounds a lot like Matthew 28, 19 to 20, right? It says, go forward, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them, helping people get to know God. That's what God wants us to do. And that's Jesus' challenge to Peter here on the beach. And it's, it's wonderful to me that the challenge is given not out of duty or devotion or obligation. No, Peter, do you love me? He's not enlisting him into the army. You see, there's something more tender here, isn't there? It's out of love that we serve others. It's out of love that we take care of the spiritual needs of others. Not out of obligation, but out of love. So the risen Lord gives us a command. Replacing an aimless life with a life purpose to build and care for his body, his church. And we do that out of love for the Lord. Might it be true of us, eh? Lord, help us in these things. Teach us. Help us to know how to care for the spiritual needs of others. Help us how to tend your lambs and shepherd your sheep. And be ones that would help others get to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.